0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Before we get to today's interview with Paul Scutt about compulsory education and alternatives to schooling, a couple of clarifications from the show notes. Um, first of all, we talk about a website, uh, Liberated Learners, and we get the uh, URL a little bit wrong. It's Liberated Learners, Inc. Org. So when you hear it, just add the I-N-C at the end. Second, I mentioned a book by Seth Godin about schooling. I couldn't remember the name. It is Stop Stealing Dreams, and you can see in the show notes a link to download that book for free as an ebook. Also, another Seth Godin book that we talk about but don't mention by name is The Lynchpin, where Paul talks about the concept of being an artist in your life. So without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Paul Scutt of the Princeton Learning Cooperative. My guest today is a dear old friend, Paul Scutt. Welcome, Paul.
1: Uh, welcome to you as well, Howie. Nice to be here.
0: Yeah, so I've been, I've been wanting to talk to you about this for years and years. You have been a, uh, a wonderful... Um, input in our family's uh, educational journey. So Paul is the co-founder, is a co-founder of the Princeton Learning Cooperative. And before we jump off into our conversation about all things education, could you just take a minute and describe the Princeton Learning Cooperative, what it is?
1: Um, we like to think of ourselves as an alternative to school, not an alternative school, And um, I think the most important thing that we are is a is a safe community for teenagers where they can be free to learn and free to to do whatever they feel like, really, as long as it's safe and uh, polite to everybody else. And uh, through that, um, boost their curiosity and to learn. and just basically continue their childhood curiosity and playing in a safe environment is the, uh, the natural way to learn and that's what we try to encourage people to do, to do what they want to, to, to do what they feel drawn to in terms of um, uh, curiosity and, and learning and and giving them a safe space to do that mm-hmm. seems to work Kids seem to like to learn. it learn that way.
0: Great. And how how many kids are at the PLC and what ages?
1: Um, we're almost full at Princeton with thirty kids. Um, full being obviously a flexible thing, but uh, we think a community bigger than thirty tends to to be more detrimental than than uh, than not. Uh, so we we've actually started a new learning cooperative in in. Uh, Newtown, which is in Bucks County. So we call that one the Bucks Learning Cooperative. Um, and we, we just have sort of two full-time and then three or four others who are sort of testing the waters in Bucks. So we're still very new in Bucks.
0: Gotcha. And the the kids are high school age, typically?
1: Yes, sorry, yes they are. We, we call them teenagers. We, we encourage teenagers to, to apply to us. And uh, they're mostly... High school. There has been a couple of middle schoolers in the sort of eighth grade, but below that, below about 13, we feel that the kids don't really have um, enough self-direction. They 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 they, they do well, Obviously, some kids do, but they uh, the older they are, the more they can take responsibility and and feel more in control of themselves without without the the, uh, the essential reading and writing skills that, that they perhaps need before that. Gotcha.
0: So if someone comes to visit the PLC on a typical day, uh, they walk in, what, what do they see? They don't, they don't see uh, a row of desks with a teacher in front of the blackboard, right?
1: That's right. Well, there's, um, there's always a game of ping-pong going on. Um, there's a lounge area where people will be sitting around the coffee table and, and probably playing a game of Bananagrams or something similar there's, there's lots of uh, mathematical games we've got a math genius working with us at the moment who introduces all sorts of incredible math games um, and then uh, around the the edges there are, there are sort of small classrooms where there'll be either one on one tutorials going on where the, the, the kids are either sitting in their in their own little uh, space working on Khan Academy even perhaps although we don't really like that anymore <laughs> um, but we have one-on-one tutorials with, with volunteers who come in adult volunteers who come in or even small classes we have classes of up to about seven or so I think seven is the maximum apart from the, the one where more or less everybody um, joins in which is the current events where we, everybody seems to enjoy current events Mm. And so there's lots of little classes going on all the time. Although we don't even like to call them classes.
0: And and what is uh, mandatory for for the do you call them the, the students? Do you call them students even? What are you, your uh, constituents?
1: <laughs> we try to call them members, but uh, yes, they end up being calling calling themselves students, and, and we we, uh, we sort of go along with them too, but. We we try to get away from any connection with it being a school, um, talking about teachers and students and things. We don't write that. Uh-huh. We try and make it uh, more of a real place where there, there there isn't any expectations for obedience and stuff like that. However, there is a mandatory sort of politeness. Uh-huh. <laughs> so... Yeah, you know, we we don't like um, we don't like aggression and uh, the the obvious things.
0: Uh-huh. But in ter- in terms of um, assignments and uh, required classes and things like that, there are none.
1: No, there's no curriculum at all. The students can come in and they could just sit on the uh, on the couch and play computer games, and that would be fine with us. Um, We had one student came in and played guitar for a long time, just just sat on the couch and played guitar and and made up songs, and and that was fine. Eventually she became uh, more and more involved, but she was just in a space at that time in her life that uh, she couldn't cope with any more academics, and she just needed time on herself. So we came for that, and uh, everything came out fine. She's a wonderful kid now, she's actually working as an apprentice for us.
0: So. I want to leave it there because it feels like a, a, a space of great tension for a lot of people listening, thinking that that there are teenagers out there who are coming to the Princeton Learning Academy and can literally sit on the couch and play video games instead of doing Algebra 2 and biology and, you know, Spanish. And so I want to come back to that. but. First, I'm curious how you got into this space. Were you were you raised in an alternative way? Did you go through uh, standard schooling? What's what's your educational and life background?
1: Um, so, sort of working backwards, I suppose I've had a pretty uh, standard education. Um, although the first nine years of my life were in Africa, where we. We are, I remember at least a couple of years sort of taking lessons from the radio, the BBC. People would tell us to, to sort of plant beans and jam jars and things and watch them grow. So there was a little bit of homeschooling in that sense. But um, even in Africa, I, I, I went to a boarding school for a couple of years as a youngster, about seven or eight. Um, but every, everything has been very pleasant for me in education. I've had a wonderful time in education without any, you know, any any unpleasantness or anything. It's been uh, it's been a wonderful journey for me, except for when I became a teacher, and then I started to see how many kids were were suffering in in the education system we have.
0: What, what what did you what did you notice that uh, that made you think that there was another way? Because I know, you know, I was a teacher for many years. It didn't really occur to me that it was you know it was anything other than well, you've got to suck it up. What what made you what made you uh, you know see a, a a chink in the wall and a way out?
1: Um, I may have been lucky to have had various. Um Different school experiences traveling the world being being in in international schools And I've been in several different types of school. I mean all of them traditional to a certain extent, but um, All of them just a little bit different with with a little bit more laxity here or a little bit more laxity there in different ways So I've had the experience I've seen students um, mostly the older students Really have a, a, a wonderful time when they're not sitting down in the classroom. It, it's a, having been a rock climbing instructor as well, they 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 just love to be outside and and to be doing things and to following following their curiosity. I think rather than by being motivated by rewards and punishments etc., which is what the main school system is doing, to to be just free to do. What follow follow their own inclinations and, and do what they think is natural. I think and that is the, uh, the thing that I came away with is that mm-hmm. trusting kids to be able to teach themselves is not easy, but it's uh, it works. <laughs>
0: well, so I don't know a lot of adults who trust kids. I don't know a lot of kids, teenagers you know, or even older, or who trust themselves. Um, what what makes you think that a child knows what's best for them?
1: Well, I, I would say that um, schools today, I, I think a lot of people see schools today as, as not really working. You know, uh, compulsory schooling has been... been Part of our society for a long time, but it was not introduced necessarily to encourage sort of creativity and critical thought, sort of uh, initiative or ability. It, it was really just introduced to to train people to, to work in the system. And the system has changed so radically since it since since schools were introduced back in the 1800s, 1700s, and. Uh, and then the even the early 1900s that, that it it doesn't really make sense to continue feeding information into children's heads and thinking they're going to retain it in order to 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 be able to get a job. I mean, in in certain in certain fields that might be true, and you need a lot of medical knowledge to be a doctor and that kind of thing. But for for most, I think for most um, most students. If they were, if they had the freedom to learn what they wanted to learn, they would have a much nicer time, and and we would have a society which was more varied, more um, full of full of adults who are, who are competent and happy, and uh, and and just filling re- filling their own life goals rather than sort of having to having to see their their work as. as as a
0: necessary evil. Mm. So so is, is it schooling itself or just the way schools are done? What, isn't it possible just to kind of have, you know, creative teaching methods and, you know, fun classes and make things relevant? It, would, would that solve the problem or is it, does it go deeper than that?
1: No, I, I believe it's the structure of schools where you've got um, authority figures telling students what they have to do and um, not giving them the practice of democracy that they will then come, you know, later come across, um, learning how to obey orders and uh, to sit still, um, all, the, all of these instincts which are, which are squashed by, by the system. I think nature gives gives children um, sort of powerful instincts, which are, are developed by playfulness uh, and um, curiosity. Uh, they sort of learn they learn how to be social sociable through play, and um, through sociability, they they learn from each other attentiveness and uh, focusing. So. so in schools, we don't allow that. So you have to be on your own. Anything sort of collaborative is, is more or less cheating. And um, it, 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 the system is, is so radically wrong, I think, for learning. And, and this is held out, held out by, by modern research as well. The, you know, the research shows that people learn best when they are self-motivated and sort of pursuing real questions, studying real problems.
0: So, so another um, criticism that's bouncing through my head is that this is—it may be fine for a very small group of people who have the means to afford it, but it's kind of, this is kind of an elitist solution. It couldn't work on a broad scale to trust people to get what they need from their environment. Do you do you find that it it works across um, you know different? ethnicity socioeconomic groups or is this is this just um you know for 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 like kids of aging hippies
1: <laughs> uh, that is a good point i think the kids of aging hippies do seem to do best <laughs> because they uh they're, they're supported at home of course um we have had students whose parents say can't you give them some homework to do when they're here this kind of thing but but um I believe if, if if we trust the kids and give them the the freedom and the wherewithal they'll come through cost is is another factor that that is true and uh our model has has benefited from being sort of within within a uh, um demographic area where the parents are wealthy enough to to support the the sort of the four um paid mentors and the rent et cetera that we need to to cover. But uh, we we don't turn people away because they can't afford it. We've we've managed so far anyway to um, to take in all sorts. Uh, some people don't pay anything. Some people pay uh, more than they need to, just to keep us keep us going.
0: It seems though that um, you know you obviously have a long back you have a long background in education. But the way you're describing it, the mentors don't really need specialized training is this something that if a community got together say a a group of parents could run you know part part, each working part-time with maybe a coordinator does this like is it possible that this model could actually be much more efficient than than public education
1: i I believe so yes that's that's definitely a um, a model to, to follow is to have one sort of guiding person who will tell a, the parents and the volunteers, no, you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to have the kids sitting down working. You can have them praying outside and uh, doing the same work. Um, because we've all, at the moment anyway, most of us have gone through a regular school, and when you see sort of ten happy kids in front of you that are full of energy, it, it is easier. To tell them to sit down and do this exercise, do this busy work. If you're trying to to to, to get through a particular piece of information, um, however, if if you wait until the kid needs that piece of information, and it comes from them, like they they want to get into college, and the college is going to require them to have a transcript of some sort, so they've got to have covered a, a few you know books that they've read and. Uh, Done enough math to be able to to do some entrance exams, then that will be uh, sort of stimulation enough for them to to get down and do it on their own. So, so the hard thing that we find is um, with our volunteers is to to try not try not to make the students do it. Coercion is is, is a sort of bad word for us. <laughs> <laughs> Curiosity, playfulness, sociability; those are the three main things we trying to encourage mm-hmm.
0: and does this does does it work are there you know kids who come out of this environment who are, are ready to take their place in society or ready to go to college
1: um, every year we have a um, we call it outside the box talk and we do this try and do this every six weeks or so in, in the community it's a free Open uh, evening when we invite the community to come and enjoy some talk about education, and one of one of these is the um, a panel of college uh, admissions counsellors, and they we, we we usually get the the guy from Princeton to come, and uh, one from the local um, community college, and then there's another couple of uh, universities around. Uh, the uh, um, Penn State College, these kind of places. We get a variety of admissions counselors and they, they love homeschooling. Uh, they, they seem to think that the people who come from homeschooling environments and, and the, the non-traditional environments are much more prepared to, to uh, deal with the demands of uh, the higher education. Than the uh, sort of standard 4.0, hmm. same old, same old students. So uh, yes, we think that allowing the students to control their own education and uh, get to where they want to go through their own initiative is is a really good preparation for for, for college, which is um, um, sort of the standard uh, the standard way people go nowadays in America, anyway. Um, but also, for for general life, because we we have one one guy, for instance, who he actually came to us from a military school after a terrible experience he he uh, he he had there with 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 totally failing grades all the way across the board. Um and he is now um, a registered EMT and trained to be a fireman, and he's in. in, in top of his class in his uh, fireman classes at the local community colleges and he's just a wonderful you know, member of the community he's going to be a, a real sort of upstanding citizen so yeah we, we believe it works <laughs> we have quite a lot of quite a lot of uh, stories to, to to bear that out mm. and we're not the only ones of course there's a lot been lots of uh, alternative schools across the uh, Across this country and and in um, in, in Europe and uh, in, in India, there, there's a, a sort of a, a rising of lo- local village schools. But um, uh, I, I don't know if you if you've seen the TED talk by Sugata Mitra, where he puts a, a computer in this in this sort of um, shanty town village, and uh, it doesn't do anything except leave the computer there and uh, the, the little children from the town come and learn. They learn how to read. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he has a camera um, showing these kids how they just talk with each other and they fiddle with the computer and they talk with each other. And just, it's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did various experiments in India.
0: Yeah, it reminds me a little bit about of, of gardening. You know, I, I put the seeds in the ground... And I water them, and the sun shines on them, and plants come up. But you know, if if I wanted to take a more proactive approach, I might, you know, dig them out every day, and take them for walks, and uh, show them pictures of what the what their what fruit or or vegetables are supposed to bear.
1: That's right. Good, <laughs> yeah. Give them some extra sunshine during the nighttime. This kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Why not
0: overachieve them?
1: Yes, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yes, I, 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 you know, learning is natural. We have a little. We have a little postcard which we we decided not to distribute wide because it's got a negative, uh, a negative connotation. We say, uh, "Learning is natural. School is optional."
0: <laughs> mm. <laughs> Although, to be fair, in most schools that I've seen, learning is anything but natural. Right. When I when I was learning to be a teacher um, in in more, you know, in more or less uh, official settings, um, the things I was learning were classroom management. So, yeah, you have you have to know, you know, especially in elementary, middle school, you have to know, you know, some basic basics of the subject you're you're teaching, you know, um, unless you're doing Teach for America, or I guess you really don't. But the, the majority of, of, like, being a good teacher, and I, and I learned this first when I, my first teaching job in college was at a local afternoon Hebrew school, where if you think kids don't want to be at regular school, they really don't want to be at afternoon school. <laughs> right. And the best teachers were the ones who had the best bag of tricks to keep kids, you know, mm-hmm. doing what they didn't want to do, sitting where they didn't want to sit, learning what they didn't want to learn, and right. that's what I thought good teaching was. And it didn't, it didn't occur to me that none of that would be necessary if there was no coercion.
1: Right. Yeah, change the environment and everything else changes
0: too. So you, you talked earlier about um, tr- traditional schooling re- reg- um, relying on rewards and punishments. So, you know, most of us in life do the things we do based on rewards and punishments. If you think of your your salary or your commission um, or your fee as a reward and, you know, getting fired or getting a bad performance review as a punishment, what's wrong with teaching kids that that's how things work?
1: Well, well, the real-life rewards and punishments are um, are quite different, you know. they, They are real. They are... It's not like being sent to the principal if you, you know, if you, if you speak out of turn. Or I think basically the the rewards and punishments that I'm thinking of don't feel real to students. That they 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 are irrelevant to life as they know it. They want to grow up and become competent adults. And uh, to be told uh, you know you came late to class by two minutes. Can't sit, stand in a corner It just doesn't make uh, It doesn't make sense to anybody So that's what I mean by um, The rewards and punishments As you you say, a lot of A lot of school nowadays is uh, Classroom control And uh, that's not about learning
0: Isn't isn't there a fair body Of evidence that when you reward kids For something, then they don't really want to Do it For intrinsic reasons anymore Even if it was something they liked at first
1: there is, isn't there? Yes, there's the uh, the little girl who... Um, who uh, I've forgotten the details now, but there's a cream cake in front of her, so. and uh, she will get an extra reward if she doesn't eat the cream cake for five minutes. <laughs> mm. Something like that.
0: Right. I remember a, a story about a professor of education who lived near a high school, and... So for some reason, all the kids would gather on the neighboring lawn and be very loud and obnoxious. And <laughs> the way he got to get rid of them was he started to pay them each a dollar to stay. Oh. <laughs> and then after a couple of weeks, he refused to pay them anymore and they wouldn't come back.
1: How
0: oh, wonderful. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, um, you said you guys aren't crazy about Khan Academy anymore what's what's your thinking on that
1: um well, i i don't want to say it is a it is a, a much better system than um than regular school right? where you can work at your own pace and uh and sort of learn material which is wide-ranging now it used to just be just be math and physics but now there's all sorts of a lot of history on the khan academy site it's um it, 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 I, I don't i don't want to downplay it it's um importance. But um it is still for rote learning. It's, it's learning facts and uh, and figures and sometimes that's important, but it, it, we don't like to see kids sitting in front of a computer for hours at a time. Um you know unless, unless they unless you really want to do that.
0: Okay. So if it if it, if it feels because I, I imagine some kids come in after having been in school for a while and they feel like they have to perform to a certain standard. Do you do you find that that uh, that kids come yeah. in with their own internal school rules that you have to kind of deconstruct? And
1: that's very true. Yes, and. and uh a lot of uh, kids who have come to school, uh, come to us from school sort of later, like, like at 16, 17, are coming to us with with a, with a, a much diminished self um, confidence. Uh, they they don't feel themselves of any worth uh, because they've been told they're such bad students they can't learn. They're, they're useless, they use the thing, then there's there's no light for them. Um, so what we have to do is to try and build up that self that self worth. And once, once they have a little bit more self-confidence um, that they, they can achieve, then, then they do so much better in terms of learning.
0: Mm. Now, so, the, the, you know, the, the self-esteem movement has kind of taken a hit, um, say, from, from the, a conservative angle over the last five or ten years, where right. sort of, you know, the, 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 the idea is that American kids have all this self-esteem, but it's not justified, Right, they all feel good about themselves, but we're—they're terrible at math. They can't write. They don't know any foreign languages. They're terrible at science. Um, and yet, it's just, it just—it makes obvious sense that you know someone who thinks they're no good at something is not going to want to try. How do you Let's reconcile try. those two views of self-esteem? Uh,
1: part, part of the problem, I think, is that we try to teach kids way too much um, to. Too deeper depths. One of the things we encourage at PLC and BLC is um, taste it for a little bit, and uh, if you don't like it, then don't stick with it. You know, go go to a class for one week, two weeks, you know, maybe three times, and then uh, decide whether you want to continue or not. There's so much out there that you can do. Um, don't stick with stuff you're not you're not enjoying, you're not having any success with.
0: Boy, that's that so goes against what I was taught. Where you know the, the voice in my <laughs> head is saying, "Don't be a quitter."
1: That's right. <laughs> you know?
0: And yet, there's there's a there's a wonderful little book by uh, Seth Godin, who's a, a a writer and a marketer, called The Dip. And says one of the most important things in life is knowing when to quit, knowing when the goal is not worth the effort you'd have to put into it.
1: Right. Uh, yeah, he he he's a he's a good good guide for us too. He, figures prominently in our philosophical talks. Oh, how so? Um, well, well, recently I read uh, his book um, *The Icarus Deception*, where he talks about—we, uh, we, I mean, he talks about a lot of good stuff. But um, he says we don't—we don't worry about flying so low that we that we brush the waves. Uh-oh, the only thing we worry about is flying too high. Um, and that uh, doesn't really make sense, does it? But hmm. basically, basically, he says, uh, we, we, we shouldn't worry about flying too high. We should worry about flying too low.
0: Mm. Yeah, and you know, as, as someone who has been uh, a, a self-employed entrepreneur for the past decade or so, um, I realized that the, most of the habits that help me were things I had to unlearn after school.
1: Right. Yes, Actually, that's true.
0: You know, like you, as you mentioned, collaboration. You know, teamwork is uh, right. is something that you know is com- is completely discouraged. And even even mistake making. There was I don't know if you've seen this um, this book. I think it's called Excellent Sheep.
1: No, uh, that it's that by a, form,
0: a former Yale professor talking about what's wrong with the Ivy Leagues and he, I saw an essay that he'd written that really nailed me for much of my life where he said that there's, <laughs> you know, the kids who, do, who are getting into these really competitive schools are so addicted to success that they're terrified to try anything where they don't already know they're going to be successful.
1: All right. yes.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and I look back at my, my freshman <laughs> schedule and all the things I could have done, you know at a place like princeton, uh, you know I could have taken pottery, I could have done you know basket yeah. weaving Asian studies, I just stuck to all the things that i got gotten a's in in high school because That's I true. wanted to bring a's home because because I don't even know why
1: that was the expectation yeah yeah um. right one one of the, the philosophical philosophical things that we've been talking about just last week or two is um Trying to encourage kids to learn the process of learning rather than the content, because the content is, is, is going to be there, it's out there in the world. and if, if you know how to access it, then there's no point memorizing it. So well, we, you know, another philosophical thing is, is to try and get away from the idea of learning content and, and focusing more on accessing content or, or the process of learning.
0: Are are kids able to do that kind of meta thinking, and to to look at themselves and say, "Here's how I learn well. Here's how I don't learn well." When 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 not uh, force fed education, do they do they figure out how to eat for themselves?
1: Eventually, eventually, but uh, as, as you were just describing in your know, university experience. Um, often kids are wanting to succeed and have evidence that they, they've learned something, so they will try and memorize a formula to, in order to solve math problems, or, the, or they will try and um, learn how to write an essay in a certain way so that they can you know, please the teacher. But um, we're, you know we're, 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 we're trying to sort of educate our volunteers into saying that that's not important, that the, that the 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 process of how they get there, and having the kids try and understand how they got there, is more much more important than the actual final product. Mm-hmm. Is it the journey, the journey rather than the destination, something like that? Mm-hmm. So that when we don't know what the kids are going to have to learn, you know, even ten years from now, they're going to have to learn about uh, I don't know some uh, some unknown. What do they used to call them in, in computer science? I forgot. Uh, uh, giblets or something. Anyway, it's something that we have no concept of yet because it hasn't been invented. But if they know that they, they know how to learn, then they're not going to be intimidated when they, you know their job becomes redundant and they have to try a different career. Then if they're confident that they know how to learn, then something, it's not going to be a, a problem for them.
0: Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's one of the big uh, problems with, with any sort of compulsory schooling is that you have to please somebody else. And so, right. and so kids learn how to learn, but they learn how to learn to that specific teacher or to that specific system rather than for themselves in any situation globally.
1: That's right, yeah. Mm.
0: So w- when you, you started, what, how many, five, six years ago is it now?
1: Oh yes, we're in our fifth fifty at Princeton.
0: And I know when you started, you didn't you didn't have people you know beating down your door. Is do you see a difference now in terms of the like, why people come to you? Was it at first was it kids who were you know had nowhere else to go or were doing terribly? Is there is there a lower threshold for people to say school is failing me?
1: Uh, yes, we've always had a, a, a quite a big range of students. Uh, we were pretty excited, I think, two years ago when a student um, wanted to come to us next year. You know, he, he was planning ahead, <laughs> that, uh instead he was in, in eighth grade and uh, he was looking at high schools and he said, no, I, you know, I'm going to go to, you know, this PLC. And so the, the, the parents sort of planned ahead and they, they, they paid their deposit like six months before and that was an experience for us. <laughs> You know, made us feel like we were a real option. Um, because up to that point, it had been students who 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 knew they were not doing well in school, in in high school. Um, but we do have a wide range. We had, for instance, last year, we had a student who came out of Princeton High School because they wouldn't let her do calculus in in ninth grade. You know, she she was advanced mathematics ma- mathematically and uh, she really wanted to to get on and do this wonderful uh this wonderful subject called mathematics and um they they wouldn't say they wouldn't allow her to do the the senior level classes
0: well it probably conflicted with her her gym schedule
1: something like that yeah in fact you know she she came to us and and while she was with us she went to to do cal- she did both calculus 1 and calculus 2 at the local community college and has gone back now in the tenth grade at Princeton High School, and they've allowed her now to to do the, um, the, the the sort of more advanced mathematics outside her schedule, so she doesn't have to do Algebra One or Geometry. Ah. Okay. She, so, so. so we've lost her because the the high school has made allowances for her, nice. but you know we, we take all sorts of kids for all sorts of reasons.
0: Yeah. So so if. You know, obviously, if a kid is is miserable at school, if they're failing, if they're depressed, isolated, angry, that's a good clue that school isn't working for them. But what are what are some other clues um, that that maybe a kid would do much better in an environment in which they could self direct? Um, just
1: thinking of kids. Well, we, we, had a, we had a kid came to us who was doing, doing okay in school, but frustrated that he wasn't able to do his, his real interests. He didn't have enough time because he had too much homework. Um, and and he, he had a, he's, he's a great kid now, but when he came to us, he was, he was sort of frustrated and, and his parents say, anyway, um, almost suicidal in, in his frustrations. And it, it, well, we always ask him, what, what what are you interested in when, when you come to us? What can we help you study? And this guy came with, um, with three things that he, he really wanted to pursue, which were um, conversational Swedish, um, ham radio, and um, blacksmithing. He wanted to work with blacksmiths. So we... We sent out a sort of an email to all of our volunteer list, which is about 300 people. in and, and we came up with, with answers to all of those. A ham radio guy, there was a ham radio club in Princeton. So a guy came in once a week and, and worked through the paperwork and the, the, the tests that he had to do to get a ham radio license. And uh, he, this guy signed on as a Saturday morning apprentice to a blacksmith in, in Trenton. And uh, we had another lady came in and, and spoke Swedish with her, with this guy for you know once a week, and and he's he's turned around into this wonderful young man who is a, a sort of model of society. He still wears his, his cap backwards, but apparently that's not such a bad thing.
0: <laughs> you know, if you're listening to that. Listening to that story, it, it it makes me think. You know, everyone's talking about schools; the standards aren't high enough. We have to do. It's like, boy, you know, <laughs> schools are are such impoverished places when you consider all the things in the world that could be of interest to someone.
1: That's right, and the, and the quality of teaching that that, that we have is different because the, the volunteers who come in they wouldn't come in unless they were passionate about what they were about to teach you know that they really love being with kids because they, they volunteer they don't get paid they come in they give their own time and and they don't have the same old same old day after day job you know mm-hmm. many of them um take the time out of their job to come in many of them are retired um uh, so so the, 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 the teachers or the volunteers who teach are really excellent models for the people they're teaching because they're not worn out, you know, uh, sort of bored um, with life, just doing it to get a salary kind of people.
0: Mm, well, it uh, sounds like the word, you know, amateur in, from its original roots, meaning a lover of something. Oh, yes. It's, it's uh, you know, that intention... Counts a lot more than technique when it right. comes to, to, you know, I found when, when a kid wants to learn something, the worst teacher yeah. in the world won't stop them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the obverse is not true. When the kid doesn't want to learn something, the best teacher in the world can't cram it into them.
1: That's right, yes. Mm. Uh, the, another, another little sort of aspect is um, mm. sometimes students will come to us and say then that they don't like this or they don't like that. But they do like this. So we had one student um, who who's was uh, really fascinated about taking electronic uh, gadgets apart and fixing them. So uh, you know he he he'll in five minutes he'll he'll fix a radio by taking out a, a blown capacitor and replacing it with one that he's he's got in a box somewhere, and he'll fix it. So he he wanted to study electrical engineering, uh, but he had no interest in mathematics. He he you know, he just. Had this idea that he was no good at math and he wasn't going to do any. He was just going to focus on electrical stuff. So we got this professor of electronic uh, of electrical engineering to come in and uh, work with this this guy one on one. And over the last three years, he's 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 actually now the the student is working during the summer, and I think he works one one day a week at the um, the Princeton Plasma Physics Lab, you know, getting paid. <laughs> So he's a, he's a little genius, but my my point was, when we go into the classroom that he and that this electronics guy, his electrical engineering guy, has been working in, the the mathematics that you see on the board with all the sine curves of the electrical currents and things, the mathematics is amazing. So this guy doesn't think he likes mathematics, but he's doing high-level trigonometry and you know sort of all sorts of. Calculus and stuff that he's doing on the that we see on the board, and he still thinks he doesn't like math.
0: <laughs> well, it re- it reminds me of um, you know I have a, a an, an unschooled child who just turned fifteen, and so we're we're always looking for good books to read together. And there's all these books that are coming up now that I am resisting because I read them in uh, 12th grade English and I hated 12th grade English so I hated every one of those books and I have, you know, I have no idea if you know, A High Wind in Jamaica or A Separate Peace or She Stoops to Conquer are any good or not I just know I hate them
1: that's right yeah <laughs> so, well.
0: yeah there's, al- there's almost nothing that can't be ruined <laughs> by uh, by making it mandatory right
1: that's right yeah. Oh, and there's so much good literature i mean, and you can learn so much just by reading books and, and being engrossed in some historical novel, but at the same time learning so much about history at that time yeah you know, you know learning can be so much fun
0: <laughs> so um you know i'm I'm a little sad because we don't live close enough to p l c to send our kids um and I'm sure there's other people listening to this who say, you know i I'm convinced school is not the best place. It's not the place for my child to develop. It's not the place for them to become happy. It's not for them the place for them to discover who they are and take action on it. But they don't have a community like PLC. So what, what options are available for people? Is there a, a sort of a national movement? Is there other other resources so that people can, can kind of make this leap?
1: Um. Well, one of the things that we've done to try and spread this idea is uh, create a a website basically at the moment called liberatedlearners.org, and the idea is to put all of the experience that we've had in sort of setting up as a non-profit, um, working out ways of, of getting money, um, looking at sort of organizational stuff to help people. Uh, set up their own little learning cooperatives all over, you know, all over the place. And I think there are now seven or eight little non-schools, if you like, around the country, um, both on the east and the west coast, and up in Canada, um, uh, uh, considering themselves members of liberated learners. And uh, that that could be something. But but basically, the the main thing is to trust. Trust the kid. <laughs> Trust that the uh, the young person is going to be um, sort of inspired to become a, a, a competent grown-up, and uh, he he may he or she may take a long time to get there, it may may t- take a strange strange route to get there, but basically, if if, if the parents are trusting, then uh, the kid will make it.
0: Well, you have you have been a go to person for us many times where where we we, we feel we find that we aren't trusting that we're we're watching and we're saying you know he's not practicing his guitar he says he wants to do guitar he's kind of hanging out he's not really reading he's just listening to music or playing a computer game and you know my inclination every fiber of my being wants to sit him down and make him be productive that's right. It's a it's a hard, uh, you know, because there's all these voices that tell that 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 paint a picture of him, you know,
1: <laughs> right?
0: Unemployable.
1: Yes, uh, but who knows what employable means in in five years' time? <laughs> you know, e- even even computer programmers, yeah, that, that's what I thought I was going to do when I in my life was be a computer programmer, but with the um, the, the, the artificial intelligence nowadays, m- computers more or less write their own programs. You can speak in English into a computer and it'll write a program to do what you ask it to do. So the, the detailed machine coding that I used to do is kind of irrelevant now. Mm. <laughs> I mean, some people, some people have to do it, but it's not the, it's not the, um, the major employing em- employer that, w- that we thought it was going to be.
0: Right. Well, you know, aside from uh, from service jobs, um, you know, most things I think are becoming commodities, which means that, you know, anyone can do them or a machine can do them or the lowest paid employee in, in India or or Bangladesh or Slovenia can do them. And. The question is, how, you know, how do we stand out, in just, just in crass economic terms, how do we stand out in a job market where there's, you know, four billion people who can do what we do? I think the, the right. only answer is to be the only person that no one else can be, which is yourself.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's, that's good. Godin talks about being an artist in whatever you want to do. Yeah, you know, choose whatever you want to do, uh, but just be the best. And and do it artistically, so that people make a connection with you. They make connection with with artists, uh, but not with producers. Mm. So, yeah, you know, focus on your individuality and 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 the connection that you that you can make with other people is what Seth Godin is saying, and, and I I think he's a good guy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'll uh, I'll send him a link to this interview. See if we can get oh, great. <laughs> to hear to hear how his uh, his ideas have uh, have rippled outside of uh, outside of uh, marketing and yeah. business. And I know he, he he wrote a book about basically like what's wrong with school.
1: He did? No, oh, I didn't know he'd done an, actually an education book. No,
0: oh. he he did. It was actually you know it was as as good a book as you expect him to have written. Um
1: I'll look for that.
0: It's. It was a free ebook. I don't think it was ever uh, a hard copy, and I don't think he ever sold it. I think he just gave it away. Right. Um, oh, That's you know lots, lots of good stories and uh, and, and and typical Godin esque outrage at uh, suboptimized um, unthinking yeah. systems.
1: Yes. Wonderful.
0: So, all right. So folks can go to learners. you said it was dot org.
1: I believe so. Yes, I think it is.
0: Okay. So I'll, I'm sure it is. But it's- I'll I'll put I'll put a link. Um. And
1: then of course they can also go to uh, Princeton Learning Cooperative and there would be a link to liberated learners from there.
0: Okay. Great. Princeton dot org also. That's right. Uh-huh. Oh what a great picture on the front. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. We We do have some small people in there who crept in who just happened to be uh Sisters of of uh, the grown of the grown students were there.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> the fact that there's a little young girl on the main picture there that doesn't mean that we take little ones. Oh, I, I just figured I mean, she
0: was a uh, you know a programming genius. <laughs> who, she was one of the instructors.
1: <laughs> yeah, I see her, her brother, who was I think only twelve, uh, did teach a class in music appreciation. Which was a
0: popular class. <laughs> yeah. So this picture. I just got one more question before I before I let you go. Um, it's a you know it's if people are, aren't looking at the picture now when you go to it it'll kind of be what kind of what you expect a very you know eclectic group of of people with lots of you know very animated expressions they certainly don't look like um, you know button down prep school types. Um, right. They seem like they like each other. Do you find that the uh, PLC alternative to school environment is conducive to better relationships?
1: Definitely, and we spend a lot of time uh, building community and doing community events and uh, giving giving the, not just the students but the parents and the uh, volunteers uh, opportunity to mix with each other and to feel engaged with you know with the process of. The kids learning, and, and yes, we we don't we have no no discipline problems or anything because so there's nothing to discipline them to <laughs> except for except for politeness. It, uh, and politeness does include, you know, if you're not going to be there for a volunteer, contact the volunteer and tell them that, so the volunteer doesn't come in and find that the students not there. You know, that's, that's just politeness. It's not it's not like coercion. You've got to come to class, kind of thing. It's just human human kindness or something.
0: Mm. Well, this, you know, it's yeah. it's the sort of taking responsibility that mm-hmm. we we actively don't learn in in, right. in schools. You know, <laughs> if I think about who who I want to work for me or be part of my team, it's someone who says please, thank you, I'm sorry and who is dependable.
1: That's right. Yeah, someone who shows up
0: All right. Well, Paul Scott of the Princeton Learning Cooperative, thank you so much for taking the time. It's, it's getting getting late in the evening, and I, I know you have uh, plenty of other things to, to attend to. I really appreciate you telling, telling the story and giving parents and their kids um, hope that, there are, that there's nothing wrong with them and that there are, there are alternatives to school that may, that may serve people better.
1: Right, and then the other hope that we have is that we see these kids becoming animated and excited about learning, and they're the future. So there's going to be in the future there's going to be people who are interested in life and wanting to to pursue knowledge. So that's great.
0: Right, there's there's a great quote I can't remember uh, who it's attributed to, but it says like don't. Don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes your heart sing, or what makes you come alive inside, because what the world yeah. needs is people who are alive inside.
1: Oh, nice. Yes, that's, that's, that's great. That's a uh, great note to end on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Paul, thanks so much for your time.
1: Thank you, Harry. Talk to you soon.
0: Be well. Bye. Bye.